the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Let Us Reason, a Christian-Muslim dialogue with host Al Fadi. Let Us Reason is a unique show utilizing theology, apologetics, and evangelism to reach Muslims for Christ by comparing and contrasting Christian and Muslim doctrines. And now, your host, Al Fadi. Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for joining us yet again in another episode of Let Us Reason. I'm your host, Al Fadi, and uh, please always remember to uh, go and listen to our archived uh, show on uh, different platforms. One of it is my website itself, sierrainternational.com, and Sierra is C as in Charlie, C-I-R-A international.com. And I have good news that uh, we will be launching the same podcast on YouTube as well. So you can find it now on YouTube in addition to SoundCloud.com. Last week, we uh, had a uh, dear brother and a wonderful guest, uh, Adam Simnowitz, who um, has been uh, working among Muslims for many years and even lived in the Middle East uh, for uh, quite some time. Uh, He uh, has mastery of the Arabic language. Uh, I appreciate uh, his due diligence and the fact that he always consults with uh, myself and others whenever he wants to make sure that his understanding of certain terminologies is accurate, and that's scholarship. Uh, Having said that, Adam is a minister uh, in the Assembly of God and also just recently uh, earned an MA in Islamic Studies, focusing on an issue that we talked about last week, which is Muslim idiom translation. And I'm going to have Adam, of course, elaborate further on that. Uh, Adam, uh, welcome aboard once again, brother. Yes, well, thank you, Al. I'm very happy to be with you for this week as well. Thank you so much. Uh, just for the benefit, once again, brother, I know you mentioned it a couple of times last week. For for the benefit of those who just joined us maybe for the first time, what is an MIT, uh, basically, or Muslim Idiom Translation? What does it stand for? And then why is it important for us to know? And then I'll ask more questions. Muslim Idiom Translation is any so-called translation of Scripture that uses language which upholds an Islamic worldview. What that means is that when the people who are responsible for translating the scripture into whatever given language, they are taking out terms and phrases, words, that they feel Muslims would not understand or would misunderstand, and incorporating Islamic terminology. And it has the effect of creating an Islamic message or a message that is much more in keeping with Islam rather than what the Bible teaches. Okay, so um, let me play the devil's advocate, and I would say, what's wrong with uh, trying to be Muslim-friendly when I'm trying to share the gospel? And I know a Muslim is not going to know Yahweh. He's not going to understand what that means. So I would say we're talking about Allah, you know, because that's the name he knows. Uh, what's the what's wrong in doing that or starting there and then slowly and gradually, of course, bridging it to the Bible? Well, there are there is one thing that I would like to address about Muslim friendly. When people first began using this phrase, the, the, 
not it was not referring to Muslim idiom translation. It was because, as you know, there are a lot of terms in Bibles in languages that Muslims read that are uh, very difficult for them to understand, um, or they don't understand them at all. That's especially true in Arabic. However, uh, there, because of that, or rather, in, because of that, translators have tried to use terms and words that would help make the meaning of the Bible clearer to a Muslim reader who's not familiar with this particular version. But, unfortunately, the term Muslim-friendly is now used to be a synonym by some for Muslim idiom translation. I see. So now, if you say that, um, you're really talking about Muslim idiom now, uh, versus what it used to be, just uh, a bridge. Uh, and I, I, I mentioned that because sim- simply because I understand the Muslim mind, and sometimes I want to make sure that I, I at least start somewhere and just take them. You know, I understand Muslims call Jesus Isa. Okay, fine. You know, but what does that mean? Now, let me let me show you really what his real name is and what it means in the Bible. And that's what I meant by a Muslim-friendly, uh, basically, approach. But uh, as you mentioned, sadly, it's uh, taken a whole different level. So, brother... Um, how come, you know, from your own research, obviously you've done a wonderful research in that when you earned your MA, and it's really acknowledged by uh, churches, uh, Christian leaders, professors, scholars, uh, and uh, I myself had the privilege, really, of reading your uh, dissertation, and um, I was very impressed by your research. Why do you think not that many people, especially in the Christian community, are aware of it simply because they are the ones who are supporting these efforts? Yes, we are supporting them most most of the time unknowingly. And I, okay. I appreciate the fact unknowingly is the word I want to highlight here. So, as I mentioned last week, I was handing out a Muslim idiom translation, not understanding that that's what it was, and I was just completely trusting that uh, because it was coming from Wycliffe Bible translators, that this was something that I could trust. It was just an evangelistic tool that didn't that introduces Jesus to people, but didn't call him Son of God. So I didn't have any type of uh, objection to that in my mind. It's only later when they revealed to me and others that this is what they call an audio panoramic Bible, that, and they not only didn't give literal translations for Jesus as Son, or Son of God, but they didn't give literal translations for God as Father. And that's, uh, so it's, the reason that there's such great ignorance is that those who are producing them are not being honest, they're not fully disclosing uh, what they have uh, been doing to the Bible. In other words, probably based on my own research and understanding, there are two messages that are being shared a message that is shared with the donors and supporters, different than a message of what is taking place on the ground. Yes. For instance, I I will give you an example from my own life. When the local Wycliffe missionary wanted to do that that, uh, uh, concerted uh, effort or campaign to reach the uh, Iraqi population here in the area with this version, Lives of the Prophets, this audio panoramic Bible, he responded to my email 
to, or to my emails by saying, Adam, you're under the impression that Lives of the Prophets is a Bible translation. We never said it was a Bible translation. It needs to be looked at as something like Veggie Tales. But I have a friend who is a pastor in North Carolina, and his church happened to support this local Wycliffe missionary, and in correspondence with the pastor, he he said that it is an audio panor- it is an audio panoramic Bible. So it seems that when they're wanting to uh, find people who will donate and help in in whatever other ways with this with their projects, they call it a Bible translation. But then when people criticize it, then they uh, try to avoid. Uh, using translation uh, to describe this particular product. Oh, and it, they're commonly called scripture-based products. Got it. Got it. I understand now what you're saying, because, uh, uh, yeah, certainly it's the difference, uh, one, one difference to call it uh, uh, just a drama, a, a, uh, a story uh, that is just trying to simplify certain things with the uh, intent to now take someone from there to the Bible, the Scripture itself, versus using that product itself and calling it Scripture, when in fact, obviously, it does not contain a lot of the um, important terminologies, if you wish. Now, um, what can someone do, brother? What can someone do, first, to depict what is an MIT, for instance, if they receive something and they want to know and investigate it, inspect it, if you wish, and what can they also do to um, ensure accountability and prevent things like this from happening? I mentioned last week that I was asked to write a brochure, and that touches on this, and I have in it key terms and passages to verify. Another, uh, But unfortunately, it, say for instance here in the Detroit area, you have lake people, they, they don't know any Arabic, but there's a huge Arabic-speaking population here, and they get in some type of Arabic Bible or audio uh, production or audiovisual production, and they want to hand it out. It makes it very difficult for them to to know whether or not uh, it's faithful to what the biblical manuscripts have. So one of the things is that I would say is if you know someone who speaks the language that you can trust. And find a couple of different passages, such as you could use John 3.16 as far as son. You could, one of the ones that I have found very helpful is the genealogy in Luke chapter 3, because it mentions son, 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 and then it ends up with Adam, the son of God. And so you can see, are they using that term for son? Or you could, in the same way, you could look at scriptures that mention father, such as in the Our Father and found in Matthew chapter 6. Right, because, for instance, in Luke uh, 3.38, the Scripture says, Adam, son of God, yet in some of these translations it will say, Adam whom God created, or Adam uh, who was from God. And let me just, uh, um, ironically, let me say this. Do you know, like, if you deal with Muslims, they will tell you, actually, what's the difference between Jesus being the son of God when Adam himself was called to be the son of God in Luke? In other words, they have no problem with that. They're, they're having a problem understanding what that means about Jesus versus calling Adam this. Yes, and unfortunately, that's 
by not literally translating Adam the son of God in Luke 3.38. In these Muslim translations, it's taking away one of the most helpful verses to explain to Muslims that son of God, whatever it means, can it, it doesn't have the meaning of a biological son. Exactly. Because, because in Adam's case, they know that there was no biological relationship taking place. Exactly. And that is, so that is really in the attempt to want to help Muslims uh, avoid misunderstanding, they actually do away with the, uh, something that would be very helpful from the Bible itself for them to realize that, oh, my understanding of Son of God is different than what the Bible is presenting. Amen. Now, let me, you know, uh, add to that, brother. Uh, in Galatians 2.20, as you know, they take the word Son of God and they replace it with the Caliph of God, the representative of God on earth. Now, here is the problem with this. You know that, of course, Adam, that um, Muslims all the time use the story of the creation of Adam from the Quran to say that's exactly how Jesus was created. In other words, he and Adam, our father Adam, are one and the same. So when we call Jesus the Son of God, we call him now the Caliph of God, all we're doing is we're really confirming the Islamic theology that Adam is called the Caliph of God. Yes, and it's it's also very problematic because the Quran never explicitly calls Jesus Khalifa or Caliph. Exactly. So we're adding even more to interpretation of the Quran concerning Jesus. Yes, and there's yet another aspect to it that's uh, very, very disturbing, and that is that the term Khalifa Allah, as you know, Caliph of God, was not coined until the late 7th century by uh, Abdul Malik the first. Correct, and, and and there is many things in Islamic history that if my Muslim idiom translation people or I am people, which is the inside of movement people, will take the time just to study. There are so many troubling facts about the history of Islam that they're embarrassing themselves when they use things that unknowingly that there have been questioned now by many scholars. Yes. So here we have, getting back to the term Caliph of God in reference to Jesus, it, it represents, um, it's an anachronism. How could Jesus, who lived in the first century, be given a title that's not coined until six, seven hundred years after he walked the earth? And once again, you know, the idea of Caliph, you're representing someone and you are representing him on earth. But Jesus' duty was not just on earth only. He is equal to God. He's the Word of Even the Quran call him Word of God, Spirit of God. He came from heaven to earth for a purpose and went back again. Even the Quran says he is near God. So why do we degrade Jesus to that level? It goes back to what I said last week. Muslim translations are have their foundation in the insider movement. And if you believe that Muslims can have saving faith in Jesus and remain Muslims, then creating a Muslim translation is not problematic. Right, right. 
So, brother, uh, I mean, in the, in the limited time we have, this is a topic, obviously, that we can spend weeks talking about. I mean, you've done an entire research on this, and, and your whole degree was based on something like this. Um, how can the people, uh, basically, in addition to the markers that you mentioned, how can they even, um, you know, question and uh, hold those who are involved in it accountable to ensure that what they're being told is exactly what's taking place? Interestingly enough, I was at a church last week, and a couple that I know, uh, I gave them one of these brochures, uh, which is called Let's Stop Giving Muslims Islamized Bibles. And they were very concerned about the things that they found in it, and so they wrote to a Christian, a well-known Christian organization, and who had a, a prepared statement, and... I, I, one of the things that I said, well, the statement appears to be sound, but is nevertheless written in such a way that it can include these Muslim idiom translations. In other words, it's, um, it's open-ended, basically. Yes. So one of, the, one of the things that if people are supporting Bible translators or translation uh, uh, organizations or Bible societies, and you are specifically wanting to know about languages that Muslims speak, they have what are known as back translations. Request that. Say, can you please provide me a back translation of your Arabic New Testament, or your Turkish Gospel of Matthew, or your uh, Indonesian New Testament? So what do you mean by the back? In other words, like, send me the finished product? No. The back translation is a technical term used by translators to refer to the translating what was done in, the, in, in for instance, we'll just use Arabic. What was actually translated into Arabic is then literally translated into English, or as, as literal as possible. So, for instance, um, in... We had mentioned about the first part of the Shahada being in First uh, Corinthians 8, uh, verse 4. Well, instead of saying one God, the back translation would have there is no God but God, or some might have there is no God but Allah. So the back translation will give you what was actually translated into the receptor language. And uh, are they allowed to share that? Yes, they are. Although it brings up a very good point that they will say, they may say, whether it's the translator or the organization itself, that we can't provide that for you or we don't have that. Through my research, I know that all of them produce back translations. And I would just say that if someone is unwilling to share a back translation with you, then I would look to find another project, translator, or organization to support. Because as Christians, we ought to be reflecting our Lord and Savior, who said, I am the way and the truth. And how can we claim to be lovers of God if we're going to walk in lies and deception? So there should, we should be willing to be honest about who we are 
and the ministry that we're involved in. Absolutely, and, and brother, I just wanna um, I just wanna mention something really important um, uh, for my people here uh, who are listening to us. Um, this particular uh, passage that you have referred to, for instance, in First Corinthians chapter eight, verse four, Paul used the Shema. Okay, Paul used the Shema here and showed that Jesus, our Lord, is Yahweh. And what you're telling me, brother, is that in the MIT, we actually did the job of separating the two entities and saying that's not the case. Yes. And there is also another troubling feature of Muslim idiom translations is that it ignores the distinction between Elohim and Yahweh in the Old Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, it tries to, the, the terms that are used in, in place of Yahweh, Koryas, or the term Koryas, which in English we translate as Lord, these Muslim translations try to make a, a false distinction between Koryas when referring to a Yahweh and Koryas when, when referring to Jesus. So this abundant uh, uh, biblical proof that Jesus is Yahweh incarnate, is ne- they are trying to hide that aspect of the Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, you know, as much as I, I know about these issues, uh, I'm, I'm more troubled every time I hear things like this. And even today, you know, you've shed some light on even things that I myself um, uh, didn't come across before. And uh, I keep asking myself, uh, as I mentioned last week, just take the Quran and uh, tell people uh, that um, it's on you to find Jesus uh, as a Savior. And uh, end of discussion, basically, because uh, we know the answer to that. There is no Jesus who is a Savior in the Quran, period. That's well said. And I want you asked several times, you know, what is the motivation? And unfortunately, when money becomes involved, that becomes another motivation. I don't know that it was necessarily the impulse, for instance, for David Owen to produce his first, uh, or the first Muslim idiom translation. Uh, from what I've seen, it just seemed like he was truly, he truly believed what he wrote and that he was not influenced by the desire for money. However, since 1987, and including David Owen's Sirat al-Masih, I am aware of 13 different MIT versions in Arabic alone. Hmm. And think about this. One of these versions has a one version for people in the Iraqi city of Mosul, and another one for the Iraqi city of Baghdad. I have asked a number of Iraqi people, both Muslims and former Muslims, can people from Mosul and Baghdad understand each other? And the answer has always been yes. Well, if they speak Arabic, Iraqi Arabic, I sure hope they understand each other. So... Another, so if you can justify creating a Bible translation for every major city in a country, well then 
Unfor- un- I, I, unfortunately, I, have, I, I, I am speaking like this, but that means there's more money that can be raised. Because Bible translation has the unique feature that it transcends denominational differences and theological differences. Amen, brother. We're starting to talk like um, Twitter and uh, Facebook, uh, how many followers uh, you have. And uh, that's uh, how the stock price is basically valued. And um, brother, uh, we're approaching the end of this show, and uh, I hope my audience will see the benefit of why we are talking about these disturbing issues. And um, I'd like to extend an invitation to you, brother, to join me once again uh, in the future so we can continue uh, to talk about uh, this particular uh, troubling translation issue and many others that you've researched. Yes, well, I would love to do that, Al. And I just would like to end on just the wonderful, wonderful uh, note that uh, I grew up in a church that did not preach the gospel, but as a 14-year-old boy, I picked up the Bible and God began to reveal himself to me. Amen. I know the power Amen. of the Word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I'm thankful for his word. Thank you, my brother. God bless you all. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.